The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. The Mighty Muskox, with males growing as large as 800 pounds and 5 feet tall, these are the second largest animals that roam the Arctic tundra. However, this does not mean that they are without predators. The primary adversary of oxen is packs of Arctic wolves. These high-speed enemies know that the size of the oxen is both their greatest strength and can be their biggest weakness, as they quickly overheat if forced to run. With cunning strategy, wolf packs attempt to scare and scatter the herd and then target the smaller calves. So the secret to defense for the mux oxen is unity. Rather than running every oxen for itself, the herd band together in a defensive ring and stand its ground with the largest bulls on the perimeter protecting the more vulnerable calves. Against a unified herd, no wolf pack stands a chance. Well, something is wrong and it's not bacon. I care what all you moms tell, tell your kids or wives tell your husbands. Bacon's not wrong, but there is something wrong. And you can see it in the way we interact with each other, and that is that most of us have a very difficult time trusting each other. And so as a result, we don't have deep, meaningful relationships. We, we don't come into real, authentic community. And maybe there's reasons for that. It could be that, um, you know, when, when we think about it, it could be the fact that we feel like, you know, Facebook and Google are spying on us. And so they sell our data to like the highest bidder. And so we go through life feeling like there's like drone. In fact, I feel like I gotta say this. It's just new material. This morning I, I heard uh, this like, and it's Father's Day. And I'm like, I go run outside. Like I'm gonna have to shoot a drone out of the sky. And uh, there was a guy flying over my house. I'm not kidding. He was in like a motorized hang glider. Am I the only one that saw this? But I went out there thinking I'm gonna have to blow a drone out of the sky, right? And I'm thinking like there's people spying on me. Something's wrong in the world I live in and Facebook and Google, they're plotting my takedown. And you know, we live in a world of conspiracy theories. So you're suspicious of anyone and everyone. And okay, let's just, you know, not be ridiculous and crazy, but you know, we've been hurt. We've been betrayed. People have done you wrong. And as a result, we distance ourselves from each other. We gossip about others. We've broken trust and we expect others to break trust and take advantage of us. And so we live in a world where we have isolated ourselves. And just like a lone musk ox, when you're isolated and alone, you're vulnerable and you become prey. But musk oxes together in a herd are not only stronger and better, but they're safer and they can survive and they can look out for each other. And doesn't that sound great? I mean, isn't that what we really want? A deep sense of belonging in meaningful relationships and authentic community where we know at least someone has got our back. That sounds good, doesn't it? It feels good. And yet that's not how we live. No, no, no. Especially us guys, uh, we're good at the whole Lone Ranger thing. At least we try to make it look good. And meanwhile, we feel like we've got to look out for ourselves. We got to stick up for ourselves. And yet deep inside, we feel alone. 
We struggle with whether we, we have any real friends or any real relationship. In fact, I, you know, I would say I'm like a typical guy going to the gym where I've interacted with the same guys for months and months, even years, and I couldn't even tell you their name. And women look at us like we're crazy. Like, how is that possible? I mean, you meet women, you meet other women and you know everything about them. And what you really do is you Facebook stalked them and that's how you know everything about them. We, didn't, we don't do that. And so we go to the gym and we talk to people where we talk about anything, sports, politics, whatever. And we don't even stop to be like, hey, by the way, what's your name? And it gets to the point where it starts getting awkward. We're like, we actually wonder that. We're like, I wonder what that dude's name is. But we're never going to stop because we don't want to admit that we never asked them. We don't know if they're married. We don't know if they have kids. But we know what sports teams they like. We have, we've argued politics. We've solved the problems of the world in the locker room. But we don't really know them at all. And we wonder if anyone really knows us deeply. So I want to I bring you back 2,600 years Back to a time when there was these four guys, I was gonna say these four guys that were outstanding in their field, but I, whatever. <laughs> um, it won't make any sense to those that go back and watch this video during the week, um, but whatever. Um, no, these four guys who, they get, they get taken from their homeland. And so what I'm gonna bring you to is the, there's a book in the Bible called the book of Daniel. It's a historical account of uh, the Hebrews who were dragged from their homeland in three waves by the um, world power of the time, Babylon. So Babylon had conquered Assyria and had overthrown them and now they're the ruling power of the time. And they began to go out and conquer other nations. One of the nations that they conquered what was, is what was left of the nation of Israel called Judah. And so when they marched against Judah, they conquered them and then they began to march them into exile in three waves. The first group of people that they took were the nobles, the rulers, the educated and the wealthy. Kind of the idea there was to remove anyone that could lead a revolution. And so, you know, people with influence. And so they marched them to Babylon and then when they got them to Babylon, they reoriented them or re-educated them in the literature and the language of the Babylonians. They changed all of their names. So they gave them, they took their names that were previously Hebrew names and gave them uh, names that reflected the gods of Babylon. They put them into a, a re-education camp and they castrated them. If, I'm not gonna explain it. Dad, you can lean over to your kids and explain that one. But basically they turn them into eunuchs. And, um, and a few of these guys, while they, while they had to go through all of that, they stuck together and it made them unique. It, it made them different. They were like musk oxes in a herd. And, and to give you a glimpse into the world that they were dragged into, it was like a world full of wolves where everyone was going in one direction. And so in fact, let me just jump into the story. It's found in the book of Daniel, and we're gonna read in chapter three. All of the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so the story is the king, he makes a statue out of gold and he tells all of these tens of thousands of people taken from all these different nations, bow down and submit to me and worship my fake God and everyone bows down, except these three guys. Well, there's four of them together, but the, the three are the only ones left out in the field with all of these others bowing down. And if you go to earlier in the story, you got all four of them together, 
and their names are changed, they're made into eunuchs, they're walked through an, a reorientation or an indoctrination camp. But there's one moment where they're offered the delicacies and the luxurious foods of the king. And Daniel speaks up, and so here's the story. And what I want, to, what I want you to catch is you're gonna to begin to see a pattern among these passages that I point out to you. Check it out. Daniel, he's kind of the spokesperson of the four, then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And what you think jumps out is like, who in the world would do this job? Like if I'm, if I'm Azariah, I'm gonna pull Daniel aside and be like, Daniel, come here. Why not say to him, you know, give us just bacon and water or bacon and, and Diet Coke or whatever, I don't know, whatever. Like, dude, you're gonna go vegan? Go vegan on your own. No offense. Some of you, I get it. My, my, my girls, they keep experimenting with all these weird eating patterns. And so like they, they wanna have like grass and they bring them, they, like, they, make, they give me a shopping list, it's all this like rabbit food. And I'm like, seriously, I'm not gonna be Daniel. Like y'all wanna do dude on your own because I'm, I'm eating my bacon. Now I get it, they were going kosher. They're not allowed to eat bacon, those poor Hebrew guys. I mean, this is miserable, but, but you notice something? They're like, we are gonna eat this together. And then there's another passage. Uh, the three of them, the guys that you saw in the name here, Hananiah, Az, or Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, they get their names changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When everyone bowed down, they were threatened, if you don't bow down, you're gonna get put to death by being thrown in a furnace. These guys don't bow down, and so they get dragged before the king. The king threatens to throw them in the fire. And uh, this is what they say in response. King Nebuchadnezzar, we, do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. You guys seeing a pattern? The pattern reveals a principle. They stood together against the bowing crowds who were giving into worshiping because of a bullying intimidation Others are giving up their faith and yielding their values. But these guys ate together, held their moral ground together, and worshiped together, and refused to give in to the gods of the culture together. And they were even willing to die together. You kind of seeing a pattern here? Here's the pattern. And the pattern transcends time and we've, we've brought these passages to you over this last couple of weeks, but there's something you could have missed in reading these passages, and it's simply this. We are better together. In fact, I would encourage you, take out, take out you know, something to write this down with. Feel free to take notes in, in, your, in, your, uh, you know, in your program or the study guide or pull out a smartphone or a tablet, and I just want you to type this in. We are better together. Not I am better together. We are better together. I want you to write it down because your instinct is gonna push you away from this. You instinctively will not want to be better together. You need it, but you and I won't do it. No, our instinct drives us away from people because people have hurt us, people have betrayed us, 
People have broken promise with us. People have lied about us and gossiped. People are mean. And because of that, we push away from others and we've hurt people. You've lied, you've betrayed, you've broken promise. You and I, we've sabotaged relationship even with the people we care about the most. The words came out of our mouth and then we were like, whoops. But in pride, we don't even say we're sorry. We hold our ground and then, we, and then we get worse and the thing escalates to the point where we break relationships. Why do we say the wrong thing? Why do we get angry? Why do we hurt the people we should be loving the most? Because there's something deep in us. It's not just in our thinking. It's not just in our emotions. It's deep in the spiritual part of who we are and it's called sin. Sin, this force that sabotages us from doing the right thing, Sin is the source of selfishness. Sin separates us from relationship with God. Sin tricks us into believing that the things that destroy us are good for us. Meaning sin makes us believe that just because it feels good, it must actually be good for us. And it feels good when you give vent to your anger, doesn't it? At least for a moment. It feels good when you give into that addiction for a moment. It feels good when you use entertainment to numb your pain for a moment. And then what you discover is that just because it feels good doesn't mean it's actually good for us. Sin separates us from relationship with God sabotages relationship with each other. And driven by selfishness, sin leads our lives toward ruin. Not just death, but eternal judgment. And that's the bad news. Sin is like a wolf, supported by the wolves of death and eternal judgment that have isolated us off by ourselves and driven us toward our own ruin. And they're waiting to devour us in eternal judgment. But God was unwilling to leave you and me and the rest of our generation alone headed toward ruin and so he intervened. Jesus stepped out of his home in heaven and into the mess of our world in order to pick a fight with the wolves of sin, death, and eternal judgment. And in fact, that very statement is what you notice makes Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel different. Let, let me just bring you back to the story. When they were dragged before the king because they refused to bow to this made up God, here's what was said about them. Here's what others accused them of. Check this out, Daniel chapter three. They neither serve your God, so he's, they're speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar, and the accusers say, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. These guys won't bow to the gods of the world we live in. They won't bow to your God and they won't bow to your God and they don't bow to anyone but their God. There was something about their faith that brought them together. And what is it? Well, when the king threatened them and they answered back, I already read a little bit of what they said, but let's continue to read the rest. This is what they say. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, the fire and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Meaning, whether he delivers us through the, from the fire or through the fire, he's gonna deliver us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. 
Our loyalty is to God alone. Our worship is for him alone. And you know what the point is? Their devotion was to God. Their worship was for the true God of heaven alone. And how does that apply to us today? There are a lot of things that can bring you together in relationship. Maybe you're a boyfriend and girlfriend and it's just chemistry that is bringing you together. Maybe it's just attraction or maybe you, maybe you like the same sports teams and that's what gets you guys together you know, to watch the Super Bowl or maybe you have other shared interests in common or maybe you have a common cause that has brought you together. You know, you're gonna feed the hungry or you know, take, you know, save the whales or whatever, whatever it is. Maybe you're shared vegans and you like hanging out and talking together. I don't know. There's a lot of things that bring people together. Politics, um, they have shared cultural values. But here's what I see. Here's what I see as a pattern that becomes a principle. It's this, Jesus makes us better together. That's it. Um, let, let me use the example of a husband and wife. There's a lot of things that can bring you together. Maybe when you started, you had shared interests. Maybe when you started, you had chemistry. Maybe you were madly in love. But what we discover is that when you're facing the fire of life, it's gonna be only your shared faith in God that's gonna keep it together. Maybe, maybe your kids, things have gotten messy with them. Or maybe in your relationship with your parents, or maybe it's between you and your neighbors or classmates and you're thrilled that you know, you're done for the summer because you don't have to deal with your classmates. Or maybe in the workplace, things are, are disastrous. Here's what I want you to know. It's Jesus that makes us better together. You don't need to have chemistry with each other. You don't even need to be in love with each other anymore. You don't need to have anything in common. You need Jesus. And when you have Jesus, you are better together. Here's what happened. Jesus came and he picked a fight with the wolves of sin, death, and eternal judgment. And he didn't just strike them and kill them. He stepped in between you and me and our fight with those wolves. And he took on the fight by absorbing the bite of sin, the bite of death, the bite of eternal judgment. He let their teeth sink in and he died in our place so that there was no bite left. And after he died in our place, he rose from the dead and he put to death the wolves of sin, death, and eternal judgment. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith knows that he died on their behalf. He conquered sin, he conquered death, and he conquered eternal judgment. So that when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are forgiven. The wolves are defeated and you're given new life because God's spirit enters into your spirit, giving you new life and true life and victory over sin, death, and eternal judgment. That should be pretty powerful. Now, when you have Jesus in you, you have Jesus with you, and when you bring Jesus into relationships, it's Jesus that unifies. Husbands and wives, if you're struggling in your marriage, um, get short, go, go to marriage therapy. That's great. Go, go find a hobby to do together, and that's gonna be great. That'll be nice. But you know what you really need? You need Jesus at the center of your marriage. Bring Jesus into your marriage and it's gonna transform everything. Maybe, maybe you're struggling in a relationship with your children or a parent. Bring Jesus into the middle of it. And what you're gonna discover is that when you've got Jesus in the center, it transforms the relationship. 
Let me challenge you though. You and I, we tend to unify with people because we, we like them or we have something in common that we both like. And so as a result, we get together with people that are like us and that we like, but not here. No, no, no. When you believe in Jesus, the only thing that matters in relationship is Jesus, which means you could have nothing in common. You don't have to look alike. You don't have to act alike. You don't have to have shared uh, cultural convictions. You don't have to be from the same part of town. You don't have to have the same kind of jobs. You don't have to have anything in common except Jesus. And when you have Jesus, you have more than enough that makes you better together. So when you look around at the church, there should not only be some differences and some diversity and different opinions. There should be different views. That all is okay. We don't care about your politics. We don't care about your cultural convictions. We don't care how you dress. We don't care where you're from. We don't care what language you speak. None of that matters. What matters is our shared faith in Jesus. And when we have Jesus in common, he makes us better together. You get that? Man, I thought by this point you'd be like, whoa. Okay, now there's something more that happens because it's not just that we're better together. Something supernatural happens. Check this out. Let me read to you what happens. So they get thrown in the fire. Okay, you already saw that coming. You went to Sunday school. I thought that was kind of a cool twist to the story. Um, they were like, all right, chuck us in the fire. So then they get thrown in the fire and the king is looking in, in the furnace and he says this, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. He didn't have a term for it because uh, those that translate the Hebrew language, this was originally written in, would say that it was Jesus that showed up in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Jesus brought them through the fire. And here's the principle that should jump off the pages of this story. Listen to this. God shows up when we're together. But that's it. God shows up. See, it's not just that Jesus makes us better together. It's not just that Jesus unifies us. Jesus heals our marriage. Jesus heals our homes. Jesus can heal our community. Jesus can heal the city. It's that when we come together unified by Jesus, God actually shows up. God will show up in the fire. God will show up in the middle of the mess. God will show up in your home. Here's the point. It's not just that when you have Jesus as your common faith, you are stronger together. It's that when you come together with a common faith in Jesus, God actually shows up in your marriage. God shows up in your friendship. God shows up in your family. God shows up in your neighborhood. God will show up in a city when people who believe in Jesus come together. So what you're experiencing right here, what you're experiencing when you join us is something supernatural because God's presence shows up and makes us powerful. He makes us unstoppable. So it's, so it's an X factor, right? It's not just that you give and I give and you can put together what we give. It's that when you give and I give and then God shows up, he turns our gift into something supernatural. It's not just that you serve and I serve and it's our efforts together that accomplish something. It's that you serve and I serve and God takes our service and he does something 
something supernatural. He accomplishes more when we are united in relationship than we could ever do on our own without him. He does something supernatural. Did you catch that? So we, we bring Jesus into our lives through shared faith and God shows up with his presence and then something great begins to happen and here's what our responsibility is, is simply to share life together. Remember the, the musk oxes. He said, you know, they, they, they have to run together. They gotta look out for each other. We share life together. And, and so Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, they share life, right? They ate together. They ate vegan together. They, um, by the way, please, no, I'm just having fun with this, right? It's Father's Day weekend, and I just want to have some fun. But um, they, they uh, learned together. They relearned together. They suffered together. They went in the fire together. Fast forward 600 years to the early church. Here's what it sounded. Here, here's what it, you would have written if you were looking in at the early church. Here's what Luke wrote when he looked at the early church. He goes, they, the church, committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles. The life together, everybody say together. Look, that's not musk ox staring down a wolf, kind of together. I want you to shout it, say together. Together. There we go. They, They had life together, the common meal and prayers. And all of the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. See, it was Jesus that brought them together. And as a result, then they began to share everything in common. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal, a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general who were looking in from the outside like what they saw. And every day their number grew as God added those who were being saved. A couple things that jumped out. See, when you start to do it right, others take notice and they want what you have. When you have community and you're sharing life together, other people who feel like a lone musk ox start going, man, I need what you've got. I I want that kind of relationship. And the other thing you notice is this. Notice how when we read it, it said they had a daily discipline of learning together, eating together, coming together, sharing life together, worshiping together, right, right? There's something. See, here's the deal. Everybody needs to eat, but it takes discipline to eat healthy. Everybody needs relationships, but it takes discipline to have healthy relationships. It's easy to eat bad food, not bacon. It's easy to get fast food and junk food and gorge yourself on whatever's the quickest, most available thing. But it takes some hard work to eat healthy, have a regular diet of healthy consumption, right? Similarly, it's easy to have dysfunctional relationships, to hold grudges, to isolate yourself, to be uh, suspicious and cynical. That's easy. You're giving into the most base sin nature. It's hard work to get along with each other. It takes discipline to share life together, meaning you have to work at being in relationship with each other. You have to work at overlooking offenses. You have to work at dealing with conflict quickly. Listen to me. Some of you, you've let conflict push you away from people when really you needed to be proactive and go to them, give them the benefit of the doubt, work it out in real authentic communication, assuming the best about them saying I'm sorry, or letting them say they're sorry, and you saying, I forgive you, and meaning it. That takes work. It takes work when you've been isolated because of mistrust 
to let God heal your heart and work through that to get into a vulnerable relationship where you're willing to be accountable with others. You're willing to trust others. You're willing to let them into your heart and believe in them and let them believe in you. It takes work to encourage people and believe them when they're trying to encourage you. It takes work to see people through the eyes of God. It takes work to value people. That's what it means to share life together. But here's what the author James, one of the pastors of the early churches wrote. James, the brother of Jesus who pastored the church in Jerusalem, wrote a letter back to that church as kind of his last, some of his last writings. He said this, you can develop a healthy, right? That takes discipline robust, strong, and powerful like the musk oxes standing together against the wolves, community that lives right with God and enjoy its results. Only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. And so what's the point? When you begin to act like this in healthy, robust community where it's Jesus that makes us better, together, where it's God who shows up when Jesus makes us better together. Here's what you discover. Life is better together. I want you to say this with me. Say it like you're, you're with a herd of musk ox and the wolves are surrounding you and you've got to believe this. Say it, right? Say life, life is, is better, better together. together. So stop isolating yourself. Stop it. You're not a lone ranger. And even that dude had Tonto, right? Am I right? You guys were all waiting for me to say that because that's like the famous line, right? Like, even a Lone Ranger wasn't a Lone Ranger, right? Like, look, here's the deal. We don't just need each other. We're better together and we're better when Jesus brings us together and then God shows up and we begin to share life together. And when you begin to share life together, even when you get thrown in the fire, life is better together. So here's the deal, right? Don't let anything divide you from others. Husbands and wives, you fight for your marriage. Dads, you fight for your kids. Moms, you look out for each other. We're, life is better together. Friends, look out for friends. Man, friends don't let friends miss out on bacon. I just, I've been waiting to say that all day. Dear Jesus, help us. Help that bacon not have any calories, but here's the deal. Some of you all, you gotta believe this. Life is better together, which means you have a responsibility. You not only belong in community, because you are made for community, but because you belong, you have a responsibility. Look, I wanna speak, I'm gonna challenge you for a moment. You grown men, you've, you've got some life experience. You've got some brawn or some brains, or I don't know, I was gonna look for another B word, you got some, I don't know, whatever. But you've got enough experience that you see some young musk oxes thinking they can fight off the wolves on their own. You need to step up, man up, step in and get those young guys back and say, no, no, that wolf will kill you. You're playing with a puppy that's gonna grow into a wolf and destroy your life. And they need some grown men who know to act like men and know what it means to be a man, to man up and put their arm around and say, here, come with me, buddy. You get away from that. You treat her right. You learn how to love because love is a greater virtue than you know, your, your testosterone-driven, you know, obnoxious arrogance. Learn that gentleness is greater than pride. Learn that godly love is greater than lust, right? We need some grown men who know how to be men to come alongside of these young guys who, who are trying to pick a fight with some wolves and say, no, 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 let me show you how to live in relationship with Jesus. We, we need some women who know what it means to be a woman, who know what it means to be a lady, 
to come alongside of some of these young girls who are picking fights with wolves that they don't even know are gonna destroy them. And you need to step into their life and, and, and fight for them. Man, God's given you strength, leverage it and defend the weak. Look, here's the deal. God designed the church to be a community of faith. Look, and, and some of you, you've been bitter at the church. Good, the church is imperfect. The church has got hypocrites in it. Good, where else should they go? I'm glad they're at least here. I mean, I hope, I hope the church has hypocrites and people who get drunk, people who have struggled with heroin addictions. I hope the church has got people who struggle with porn. I hope the church has people who are trapped in lust and, and, and adultery. I hope they're all coming. Because find the weak musk oxes, pull them in and protect them, fight for them and drive out the wolves. So, okay, hopefully you're getting the point that life is better together and the church was designed to stand up against the wolves of the world we're living in to protect the weakest, most vulnerable people among us, to stand up and say, there is a God who loves you and we're gonna prove it by fighting for you. So look, you find your place, you get plugged in, you get into a, a, see, a team where you can serve together. We call them dream teams. Get into a community where you can love each other. We call that a life group. You find your place, but it only begins through faith in Jesus Christ. And so can I encourage you to take a moment and make sure that your, first your spirit is right. Because if your spirit is still broken and isolated, no matter what you try to do in your emotions or your mind or your relationships, it won't work. Because only Jesus makes us better together. So would you close your eyes for a moment? There's some of you, it's not Jesus that's brought you together. But right now you need to make a commitment to Jesus at the center of your life in order to bring healing to your relationships. But you're not doing it to heal relationships. You're doing it because you need a healing in your heart. You need to be forgiven of sin. And you need God to love you and his spirit to come into you. If that's where you're at right now, would you just raise your hand? Say, yeah, Patrick, that's me. Man, I've been alone. I've, been, I've had a hard time trusting, I've been hurt, and I've been harboring that hurt, but right now I'm asking Jesus to forgive me and heal me, come in my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand high? For those of you that are raising your hand right now, I wanna take a moment, I wanna pray with you. Jesus, thank you for stepping out of your home in heaven and into our messed up world to rescue me, to rescue us. And so Jesus, would you meet us right now by your spirit? Would you forgive sin? Would you heal hurts? Would you transform hearts? And Jesus, we just wanna say we love you. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you that we're stronger and better together. Help us to share life together and enjoy the life that you've invited us to share together. We ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.